Chapter 16 It cannot be, Edward cried in a hoarse whisper. It cannot be. But they both saw the dark figure of a girl clearly. The head rolled from side to side. Her arms were tied around a dark post behind her back that also burned with yellow fire. Inside the flames. Inside. Being burned alive. Gasping in horror, Mary began running toward the fire. Edward, struggling because his sling threw him off balance, followed behind. It is a girl, Mary cried, raising both hands to her face. She stopped. She could feel the heat of the flames on her face. Breathing hard, Edward stopped behind her. Mary's breath caught in her throat. The fire seemed to grow hotter, brighter. She could see the girl clearly now inside the flames. Her mouth was open in a scream of agony. Flames climbed over her long, curly hair. Flames shot up from her dark, old-fashioned-looking dress. As the girl twisted in the flames, struggling against the stake behind her, she stared past Mary to Edward, stared with wide, accusing eyes. Her entire body tossed with the fire, and through the flames her eyes burned into Edward's. It took Mary a long time to realize that the terrified howl she had heard behind her came from Edward. She turned to see his entire body convulsed in a shudder of terror. Edward's dark eyes bulged in disbelief. The hot yellow firelight cast an eerie glow over his trembling body. Susanna! Edward cried, recognizing at last the girl in the fire. Susanna Good! As he cried out her name, the vision darkened and disappeared. The burning girl vanished. The woods were dark and silent, except for Edward's horrified howl. I have had nightmares about the fire for the past two nights, Mary told Jeremy. When I close my eyes, I see that poor girl, her hands tied behind her, her hair in flames, her entire body in flames. It was two days ago, Jeremy, but still, I, I... Mary's voice broke. She leaned her head against Jeremy's solid shoulder. They were seated close together on a low mound of straw in the corner of the new field. Ahead of them, at the tree line, she could see the brambles and tree branches Jeremy had cleared from the field that morning. The late afternoon sky was gray and overcast. Occasional drops of cold rain indicated a storm was approaching. Sometimes the light plays tricks in the trees, Jeremy suggested, speaking softly, soothingly, his arm gently around Mary's trembling shoulders. Sometimes you see a bright glowing reflection, and it's only the sun against the mulberry bush. This was not a bush, Mary replied edgily. It could not have been a bush. Sometimes the trees cast strange shadows, Jeremy insisted. Jeremy, Mary rose angrily to her feet. Edward recognized the girl. It could not have been a shadow. He recognized her. Jeremy patted the straw, urging her to sit down. I am sorry, he said softly. How does your cousin feel? Has he recovered? Edward has become very quiet, Mary told him, dropping back onto the straw, but keeping her distance from Jeremy. He will not talk about what we saw. He will not talk about much at all. He seems very far away. I, I think he has nightmares, too. Jeremy gazed at her, but didn't reply. I am sorry to burden you with my troubles, Mary said, frowning. She gripped the basket she had carried with her from the house. I had better be going. I'll let you get back to work. She could see the hurt in his eyes. I want you to share your troubles with me, he said. You do not burden me, Mary. He lowered his eyes to the basket. What is in there? Sweet rolls, she replied. I baked them this morning for Rebecca. I'm going to take them to her now. Rebecca has been in such low spirits lately. I thought to cheer her. He gazed at her with pleading eyes. A smile slowly formed on his lips as he pressed his hands together in a prayerful position. Do not beg, Mary scolded, chuckling. You may have one. She reached into the basket and pulled out a large sweet roll. I would rather have this, Jeremy said, grinning, as he sprang forward and began kissing her. 
the sweet roll fell out of her hand into the straw. Mary made no move to retrieve it. Instead, she placed her hand behind Jeremy's neck and held him close. When a kiss ended, she jumped to her feet, brushing the straw off the long white apron she wore over her dress. She adjusted the comb that held her hair and gazed up at the sky. Dark storm clouds rolled over the gray sky. I had better go on to Edward's house, she said. Have you told your father? Jeremy demanded. Picking up the sweet roll from the straw and examining it, have you told him about us, about how we feel? Mary frowned. No, it is not the right time, Jeremy. Father is so terribly troubled. You told your father about the fire, about the girl burning in the flames? Yes, Mary nodded solemnly, her skin very pale in the approaching darkness. I told him about what Edward and I saw. He had the strangest reaction. Strange? He wears a silver disc around his neck. He always wears it. It was given to him in the old country by his grandmother. It is jeweled and has tiny silver claws. Well, when I told father about the girl in the fire, he cried out as if he had been stabbed and grabbed the disc tightly in one hand. And what did he say to you, Mary? Jeremy asked quietly, carefully picking straw off the sticky roll. Mary's face darkened as the storm clouds lowered. That is the strangest part, she whispered. He didn't say anything, not a word. He just stood there gripping the silver disc. Staring out the window, he didn't say a word. That is very strange, Jeremy replied, lowering the sweet roll, a thoughtful expression on his face. I must leave now, Mary told him sadly, before the storm. She lifted the basket and straightened the linen cover over the sweet rolls. She took a few steps toward the pasture, then suddenly stopped and turned back to Jeremy. Still seated in the mound of straw, he gazed up at her, chewing a mouthful of the roll. What of your father? Mary demanded. Have you spoken to him about me? The question appeared to startle Jeremy. He choked for a moment on the roll, then swallowed hard. I would like to meet your father, Mary told him playfully. I would very much like to see your house and meet your father. Jeremy climbed to his feet, his forehead knitted in concern. I am afraid that is not a good idea, he told her, avoiding her eyes. My father is quite ill. He is not strong enough to welcome company. Mary could not conceal her disappointment. I guess we are doomed to meet in the woods for the rest of our lives, she said with a sigh. Edward's house was a small one-story structure built of the stones that had been cleared from the crop fields and pasture. It had a sloping slate roof and two small windows in the front. The house sat at the edge of the woods. From the front, one could gaze across the pasture to Benjamin and Matthew's house on the other side. As Mary made her way from the back field where Jeremy worked, she felt the first large drops of rain start to fall. She thought about her father as she hurried on. I wish I could tell him about Jeremy, she thought sadly, but he is in no mood for more troubling news. Her thoughts turned to her ailing Uncle Benjamin. The poor man had awakened them all screaming at the top of his lungs in the middle of the night. Mary had reached his room first, followed by her frantic father and mother. At first, they thought Benjamin was suffering a nightmare, but his screams were not because of a dream. During the night, he had lost the use of his right leg. Mary's uncle could now move only his head and right arm. Matthew was becoming more and more distant and aloof, lost in his own thoughts. Her cousin, Edward, had become glum and silent, and Rebecca... Rebecca appeared wearier and older, as if she were aging a year every day. Mary gripped the basket of sweet rolls tightly in one hand and approached Edward's house. Rebecca, she called. No reply. Rebecca, it is I, Mary. Still no reply. The storm clouds gathered overhead. Raindrops pattered against the hard ground. Mary knocked on the front door. It is so strangely quiet, she thought. 
shifting the weight of the basket. I can always hear Ezra's shouts and cries when I approach this house. Why do I not hear him now? She knocked again. Receiving no answer, she pushed open the door and entered. Rebecca? Ezra? The front room was surprisingly bright. The candles on the wall were lighted, as were candles on the small oak table beside the hearth. A low fire crackled under a pot in the hearth. Rebecca? Where can she be? Mary wondered. Rebecca, are you home? As she set the basket down on the floor, Mary heard a soft creaking sound. She listened for a few seconds, trying to figure out what was making the sound. Then she suddenly noticed a black shadow swinging back and forth across the floor. Confused, she stared down at the slowly moving shadow for a long while, following it with her eyes narrowed. Creak, creak. The odd sound repeated in rhythm with the shadow. Then she raised her eyes and saw what was casting the shadow and started to scream. Chapter 17 Rebecca, Mary managed to choke out. Rebecca's body swung heavily above Mary's head. Gaping up in horror, Mary saw the heavy rope tied around Rebecca's neck and suspended from the rafter. She saw Rebecca's arms dangling lifelessly. She saw Rebecca's face, the skin hanging, the eyes bulging. Creak. Creak. Rebecca! No! Mary uttered a high-pitched wail and dropped to her knees. The floor tilted up to meet her. She felt ready to faint. She shut her eyes and shook her head, as if trying to shake away the whole scene. But even with her eyes closed, Mary saw Rebecca's body swinging from the rope like a heavy, ripe fruit. What happened here? Did Rebecca hang herself? Was she murdered? The horrifying questions forced their way into Mary's mind. She opened her eyes and saw Rebecca's dress hovering beside her face. I... I cannot accept this, Mary said. I... I cannot. She began to vomit then, her entire body convulsing in tremor after tremor, until she was crying, and screaming, and on her feet again, and outside. Without realizing it, she had started to run. In the heavy rain now, the cold rainwater washing her face, drenching her hair, soaking through her dress, her shoes splashing up puddles as she ran through the soft dirt toward her home. Edward, where are you? Edward? And where is Ezra, she wondered. And how will I tell everyone? And how will I ever get the hideous sight out of my mind? How, how, how? The pouring rain couldn't wash away the image of Rebecca. Her head twisted at such a strange angle, swinging so gently from the ceiling. The rain couldn't wash away the blackened skin, the bulging eyes. The rain couldn't drown out the creak-creak of the body as it swung gently back and forth. Edward, father, mother, help me! Mary ran through the rain, her arms outstretched as if reaching for help, ran screaming without hearing her own cries. Rebecca, you cannot be dead. Please, do not be dead. Do not be dead, Rebecca. Mary was halfway across the pasture now, slipping over the puddled grass. Rainwater matted her hair against her head, ran down her forehead, and blurred her vision. The house loomed ahead of her, gray against the low black sky. Edward, where are you? Edward? Father? Father? Her feet slid out from under her, and she fell, sprawling face down in the soft cold mud. She landed hard on her elbows and knees. Oh! Maybe I will not get up. Maybe I shall stay here forever. Maybe I shall just lie here in the mud and let the rain carry me away, float me away from everything. With a desperate cry, she pulled herself to her feet, her clothes covered with mud, her hair hanging heavily in her face. She took a few steps, then stopped with a shocked gasp. Who is that? A stranger standing in the middle of the pasture, dressed in black, standing as still as death. Am I seeing things? She pushed her hair out of her eyes with both hands and wiped the rainwater from her face. No, 
he was still there. Who can it be? Why is he standing so still in the pouring rain and staring at me? The dark figure stared at her without moving. Chapter 18 Mary called again. Beyond the pasture the trees shivered and were bent low in a howling gust of wind. The man didn't move. Trembling from the cold, from the horror, Mary took a reluctant step toward him. Then another. The wind picked up and swirled around her. The rain swept over her like cold ocean waves. Her shoes sank into the mud as she made her way closer. He was standing so still, Mary saw, squinting through the heavy curtain of rain, as still as a statue. A statue? It is a scarecrow, she realized. Of course. That is why it doesn't move. A scarecrow. As she ventured closer, she saw rainwater rolling off the brim of its black hat, saw the dark sleeves of its long coat flutter in the sweeping winds. Who put a scarecrow here? Mary wondered. Then her next thought made her stop short. Why would anyone stand a scarecrow in the middle of a grassy pasture? She shielded her eyes with one hand and squinted hard, and took another step closer, then another. Finally, through the heavy downpour, she recognized the face under the wide-brimmed black hat. Uncle Benjamin! Once again, Mary stared into the blank-eyed face of death. Benjamin Fear was the scarecrow. His body was propped up nearly as straight as if he were standing. His arms hung lifelessly at his sides. His face was bright purple. His hair spilled out from the hat and lay matted against his head. He gaped at Mary with blank eyes, deathly white eyes. The pupils rolled up into his head. Uncle Benjamin! The wind gusted hard, shaking the body, making the limp arms swing back and forth. The body turned again. Benjamin's mouth dropped open, as if he wanted to speak, but the only sound Mary could hear was the heavy groan of the wind. Mary's body convulsed in a cold shudder of horror. She spun away from the ghastly sight, the dark grass tilting and swirling wildly around her. Her stomach heaved, but there is nothing left to vomit. Rebecca, Benjamin, both dead. Dead, dead, dead. The word repeated in her mind, pounded into her thoughts, pounded against her brain like the cold rain. The cold, cold rain that poured off her uncle's hat, cold as death. Is everyone dead? Has my whole family been killed? Mary stared toward the house. It seemed so distant now, so dark and distant, far away on the other side of the storm. Has everyone been killed? Mary wondered. Everyone? And then, will I be next? Chapter 19 the funeral for Rebecca and Benjamin was held two days later. The rain had stopped the day before, but the sky remained gray and overcast. The graves had been dug in the corner of the field Jeremy had been working to clear. White rocks had been placed at their heads since there were no gravestone carvers in the village. Standing at the side of the open graves, as the minister delivered his funeral speech, Mary gazed at the dark-suited mourners. Several people had come from the village and neighboring farms to attend. Their blank faces and hushed whispers revealed more curiosity than sadness. Mary glanced at them quickly, then turned her attention to the members of her family. As she studied them one by one, the minister's droning voice faded into the background. The past two days had been a waking nightmare in the stone farmhouse that had so recently rung with laughter. Now the faces of her family, Mary saw, were pale and drawn, eyes red-rimmed and brimming with tears, mouths drawn tight in straight lines of sadness and fear. On the far side of the graves, Edward Fear stood with his shoulders hunched, his head bowed, his hands were clasped tightly in front of him, 
At first, Edward had reacted to the deaths of his wife and father with stunned disbelief. In a frenzy, he had shaken Mary so violently by the shoulders, demanding that she stop telling such wild tales, refusing to believe her gruesome descriptions. But her racking sobs forced Edward to see that Mary hadn't been dreaming. With a wild cry, he had burst from the house, out into the driving rain, running awkwardly with his sling bobbing in front of him, running to see the horrors for himself. Afterward, Edward had become silent, barely speaking a word. He spent a day in silent prayer. When he emerged, his eyes were dull and blank. Edward wandered silently around the house like a living corpse. Constance, crying without stop, was forced to tend to Ezra. Matthew made the funeral arrangements and supervised the digging of the graves, since Edward was unable to speak to anyone. Ezra sensed immediately that something terrible had happened. He had to be told that his mother was never coming back. It had fallen to Constance to tell the boy. Mary watched from a corner of the room, huddled next to the hearth. Constance had drawn Ezra into her lap, and, tears running down her cheeks, told him that his mother had gone to heaven. Can I go too? Ezra had asked innocently. Constance tried to hold herself in, but the boy's words caused her to sob more, and Mary had to carry him away. Afterward, Ezra had acted troubled. He stayed underfoot while the funerals were being planned, and cried loudly if anyone spoke a harsh word in the house. Poor Ezra, Mary thought, gazing at the boy, so tiny and solemn in his black coat and breeches. Ezra's black hat was several sizes too big for him and fell down over his ears. The minister droned on. Mary turned her gaze to her father. Matthew stood beside her, his large stomach heaving with each breath he took, his eyes narrowed, staring straight ahead. He had reacted more strangely than anyone when he had heard the news of the two murders. Mary had expected him to crumple with grief, especially at the news of the loss of his brother. But Matthew had only reacted in fear. His eyes had narrowed. He had glanced nervously around the sitting room, as if expecting to see someone who didn't belong there. Then, gripping the three-toed amulet at his throat, he had disappeared from the room. Late that night, while the house was cloaked in silent sadness, Mary had spied Matthew in his room seated at his work table, his face deep in shadow, holding the strange medallion in front of him with both hands. Matthew was repeating his words aloud, again and again like a chant, Dominatio per malum. Mary wondered what the words meant. Was it some kind of prayer? She didn't know any Latin. The next day, Matthew had still seemed more frightened than sad. His eyes kept searching the farm, as if he expected an unwanted visitor. Mary was desperate to talk to him about what had happened but he avoided her each time she approached. She was forced to spend most of her time trying to comfort her mother. The minister continued his prayers. One after the other, the two pine coffins were lowered into the graves. Mary suddenly saw Jeremy standing at the edge of the crowd of villagers. He was dressed in black breeches and a loose-fitting black shirt. He was wearing a battered old hat with a broken brim. Despite her grief, a faint smile crossed her face. She had never seen Jeremy in a hat before. Mary hadn't seen Jeremy in two days. Nearly all work had stopped on the farm, and Jeremy had been sent home. She was surprised to see him now. Their eyes met. She stared at him, wondering what he was thinking. He lowered his eyes, his expression troubled. After the graves were covered over, the minister and villagers departed quickly. Constance and Matthew led Ezra back to the house. Edward remained standing stiffly, staring down at the graves. Mary saw Jeremy walking slowly in the direction of the toolhouse behind the garden. Taking a deep breath, she decided to follow him. Jeremy, wait! She caught up with him at the side of the toolhouse and threw herself into his arms. Jeremy, oh Jeremy, I, I have missed you. I need you. I really do. 
Grabbing both of his hands, she tugged him behind the toolhouse, out of the view of the house, and breathlessly kissed him, pulling his head to hers. To Mary's surprise, Jeremy resisted. He gently pushed her away. Jeremy, it has been so horrible, Mary cried. The past few days, a nightmare. I... She stopped when she saw the troubled expression on his face. She reached for him again, but he took a step back. Jeremy, what is wrong? Mary demanded, suddenly frightened. What has happened? Why are you looking at me like that? He locked his eyes on hers. Mary, I have something to tell you, he said in a low, trembling voice. Mary started to answer, but her voice caught in her throat. She searched his eyes, trying to find a clue in her blue deaths. Jeremy, I... Please, let me talk, he said sharply. This is hard. This is very hard. What? she managed to whisper. I, I know who killed Rebecca and Benjamin, Jeremy told her. A cold chill ran down Mary's back, a chill of fear and heavy dread. Who? she asked. Chapter 20 Jeremy lowered himself to a sitting position on the ground and pulled Mary down beside him. They sat with their backs against the wall. Jeremy gripped her hand tightly. I prayed this would not happen, he told her. He tore off his ill-fitting hat and tossed it away. What, Jeremy? Mary demanded. Who killed Rebecca and Benjamin? Jeremy's eyes were tense as he raised them to hers. My father, he told her. My father killed them both. Mary gasped and pulled her hand away. I do not understand. She started to get to her feet, but Jeremy pulled her back down. I will explain, he said. Please, let me explain. You told me your father was ill, Mary cried angrily. You told me he was too weak to have visitors. And now you say... My father is an evil man, Jeremy admitted, burrowing his hands into the dirt beside him. But there is a reason. He had much evil done to him. I, I do not understand a word you're saying, Mary declared. I will explain it all, Mary, he replied quietly. You shall hear it all. The whole unhappy story, just as my father told it to me, for I was born after it all happened. Mary sighed and pressed her back against the toolhouse wall. She clasped her hands tightly in her lap and listened with growing horror to Jeremy's story. My father's name is William Good, he began. I told you my name was Thorn, because I needed work, and my father instructed me that your father would never hire a Good. So, you lied to me? Mary asked sharply. You gave me a false name on the day we met? It was the only lie I ever told you, Jeremy replied softly. It was a lie I regret. Please believe me. My name is Jeremy Good. I was born after my father left a village known as Wickham in Massachusetts Bay Colony. My family also comes from Wickham, Mary cried with surprise. I know, Jeremy said darkly. He tossed a handful of dirt past his shoes. I have a brother, George. Two years ago, he chose to return to Wickham. He could no longer tolerate my father's insane obsession. Obsession? Mary asked, bewildered. Let me go back farther in time, Mary. You will soon understand although you will wish you did not. Jeremy took a deep breath and continued. When my father lived in Wickham, he had a wife named Martha and a daughter named Susanna, he told her, staring straight ahead. He had a life, a happy life, but your father and your uncle robbed him of that life. They robbed him and the entire town. Mary swallowed hard, then gazed at Jeremy in bewilderment. How can that be? Your uncle Benjamin was magistrate. His brother Matthew was his assistant. Benjamin accused Martha and Susanna of practicing the dark arts. He put them on trial. He burned them at the stake as witches. Susanna, good, Mary cried, raising her hands to her face. 
That is the name Edward cried when we saw the girl burning in the woods. Benjamin burned Susanna as a witch to keep her from marrying your cousin, Edward. No, Mary exclaimed, shaking her head as if trying to shake away Jeremy's words. No, stop. I cannot stop until my story is finished, Jeremy said heatedly. But Edward is the most pious man I know, Mary declared. Edward would never allow his father to burn an innocent girl. Edward did not allow it, Jeremy replied in a low whisper. He did nothing to save Susanna or her mother. Edward trusted his father. He did not know the villainy that Benjamin Fear was capable of. But, Mary's voice caught in her throat, your father, Matthew Fear, was also a villain. He promised to save Martha and Susanna. He took money from my father in exchange for saving their lives. He robbed my father. Then Benjamin and Matthew robbed the village and fled, and Martha and Susanna, an innocent woman and girl, burned at the stake. No, Mary uttered in a hoarse whisper. I cannot believe this, Jeremy. This is a story my father has told me all my life, Jeremy said, grabbing her hand. All my life he has sought revenge against your family, against the fears, and now, now my father has begun to take his revenge. He has murdered two fears. He will murder you all unless we do something. Mary stared into the gray sky as if in a daze. She didn't move or speak. Jeremy's words hung in her mind, lingered, repeated, creating ugly pictures, pictures of fire and suffering and treachery. Why should I believe you? she demanded finally, her voice small and frightened. Why should I believe these horrible accusations you make about my father and uncle? Jeremy's reply stunned her. Because I love you, he said. She gasped. I love you too, Jeremy, she replied breathlessly. He wrapped his arms around her and pulled her close. They held the embrace for a long time, her face pressed against his, their arms around each other, not moving, barely breathing. When he finally pulled away, Jeremy stared at her intently. We can stop the hatred now, Mary, he said softly. You and I. We can stop the hatred between our family so that no one else will die. How, Jeremy? she asked, holding on to him. How can we? We love each other, Jeremy said with emotion. We will marry. When we marry, our families will be one. The old hatred will be forgotten, and the goods and the fears will live in peace. Yes, Mary cried. As they kissed, they didn't see the dark-coated person move silently away from the side of the toolhouse. Wrapped in each other's arms, they didn't realize that this figure had been so near the entire time he had heard their conversation, had listened in shock and dismay to Jeremy's story. Edward Fear took a deep breath, then another, trying to calm his pounding heart. After the funeral, he had followed Mary, planning to ask her to look after Ezra. To his surprise, he had spied her with Jeremy. Leaning against the side of the toolhouse, Edward had eavesdropped, clinging to every word with growing horror. Now Edward's horror mixed with anger as he strode quickly to his Uncle Matthew's house. Lies, he declared to himself, the boy speaks lies, and he has filled poor Mary's head with these unthinkable false tales. My father did not accuse Susanna Good unjustly, Edward told himself. My father was a righteous man. Susanna burned because she was truly a follower of the evil one. Halfway to the house, Edward stopped short. The fire he and Mary had seen in the woods flashed into his mind as brightly as if he were seeing it again. And inside the fire was Susanna Good, twisting in agony, screaming in pain. No! Edward cried. He closed his eyes to erase the image. Susanna burned because she deserved to burn. My father and uncle are righteous men. His heart racing. He burst into the house. Ezra and Constance were in the front room. Edward? Constance started. Come sit down and... Not now, Edward said brusquely. 
Her mouth dropped open in surprise. Hello, Papa, Ezra called. His mind blazing, Edward ignored the child. He rushed past them, heading for Matthew's room. A fire crackled in Matthew's fireplace, despite the heat of the afternoon. Edward pushed open the door without knocking. Uncle Matthew, he called breathlessly. Matthew was seated at his work table, paper strewn messily across the top. Still in his morning coat, he appeared to be gazing into the fire. He turned in surprise as Edward burst into the room. Edward, the funeral! It went well, I suppose. I... Uncle Matthew, I must ask you something, Edward cried, his dark eyes burning into his uncle's. I heard a horrifying story just now, about you and my father, about the days when we lived in Wickham. Matthew's lips twitched, his eyes widened in surprise. What kind of story, nephew? About Susanna Good, Edward blurted out, that she was falsely accused, that she was condemned to burn by my father even though he knew of her innocence, that you and my father robbed the town and fled. Leaning over his table, Matthew Fear closed his eyes and rubbed the lids with his thumbs. These stories cannot be true, Edward declared breathlessly. Tell me that they are lies, uncle. Tell me. Matthew slowly opened his eyes and trained them on Edward. Calm yourself, Edward, he urged softly. Rest easy, my boy. Of course these stories are lies. There isn't a word of truth in them, 